Boom. What's happening, everybody? My name is Jack Nagel, and this is another episode of the Real Drug Talk podcast, where we talk about all things alcohol and drugs, addiction, and addiction recovery. Um, so to, in today's show, we're going to move away from the standard interview format because uh, we've been putting out a lot more social media posts. And as a result of that, we've got some feedback from the people listening to our podcast on our email list, um, which I'd recommend that you guys join by heading over to our website if you're interested in um, some regular updates on stuff that we're doing, uh, thoughts that I have, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, the feedback that we've had off the emails is that um, some people want some practical tips and and for us to do a show, I, I suppose, about what people can do practically in their life to, to get recovery. Um, and we've decided to kind of talk about the very nature of addiction today. Um, and it's off the back of a couple of things as well. So I had an experience the other day, again, that I have all the time when I work with people, uh, where people just don't focus on the deeper issues and they focus on the surface level stuff, which is the drugs and alcohol itself. And they don't work on changing their belief systems and their behavioral patterns, their emotional patterns and all that kind of stuff. And they just slip right back into addiction, right? So I wanted to to kind of dive into that a little bit today um, and then also read you a part of um, the book that we just released, The 11 Definitive Steps to Get Recovery Without Going to Rehab, um, because it's kind of one of the core steps and principles of the book um, and we have the information in there and we've just released it um, and we're getting some really good feedback on that as well. So what I thought I'd do is cut out an excerpt from a podcast that we did with a guy named Ryan Hassan who runs the Center for Healing um, and the reason why I've chosen this one to talk about this subject before I read a little excerpt out of the book is because I think Ryan explains what the exact nature of recovery is all about um, and and what you need to do to kind of get there through his experience. He articulates it really well and we've had some really good feedback from that. So we're going to play that clip um, and then from there I'll kind of unpack it a little bit and give you guys some practical steps out of the book as well, um, you know, so that you can start focusing on what really matters to kind of get some long-term change and recovery in your life. Um so, uh, as always, before we jump into the show, if you're a loved one is listening to this and you need any help um, with addiction and you don't want to engage in the traditional forms of treatment, um, head over to Connection Based Living. Connection Based Living is our outpatient program um, where we show people how to get recovery without going to rehab. So, that's www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. Um, the links will be in the notes. Um and, and you can have a click around, have a bit of a read and, you know, get in touch with us and we'll point you in the right direction. All right. So hope today's show is helpful. I love this little clip um, that we did with Ryan uh, and looking forward to unpacking a bit after the clip and reading you a bit out of the book and giving you some practical things that you can go away and do. All right. Enjoy, everybody. Peace. I ended up doing a, a home-based detox with a government company. So basically, you, 
you get a bit of help, you know, you get a, a care and recovery worker, a nurse who touches base and they kind of set you up with appointments. So you can set you up with a doctor, um, set you up with a psychologist, but you're doing, you're just doing it from home. So basically, it's actually, a, it's actually a really good and like in terms of just the uh, public health initiative, it's actually a really good option for a lot of people, you know, particularly when you were like you, where you were just really desperate for something to change. It sounds like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it was, the, and, and the people that I, I saw in that were fantastic. And, you know, I did, I, I got clean at home for 12 days, um, but then I stopped because it, it's one, I, every addict knows like you can stop, right? Stopping's yeah. not the hard bit, staying stopped is the problem. That's right, that's right. So, so I'd stopped, but I hadn't addressed the reasons why I'd become a drug addict in the first place, you know? So I, I, I did, I got clean for 12 days. I reconnected with my family and friends, um, which I, I consider myself super lucky because there's so many people who go through addiction and they push people away so much that when they do are ready for help and to be vulnerable, that, they are, that their friends and family have kind of been hurt or burnt so many times. They're like, nah, get fucked. <laughs> like you, right. you've burned us too many times. I was so lucky because I had, um, it started with my friends. I was like, you know, might have been five or six o'clock in the morning one morning. And after I'd been arrested, all of a sudden, because all my, all my worldly possessions had been taken. So the money and the drugs, that was all that I had. And so now all yeah. of a sudden I wasn't, I wasn't the guy who had all, all the drugs. So all my, my good friends in that world stopped messaging me. They weren't checking in to see if I was okay. And I was on my, yeah. um, I was scrolling through some, some messages I wasn't on a phone because my phones had been confiscated. I was on an Xbox. So my old housemate, which I'd gone back to his house, had an Xbox and you can go on the internet with an Xbox. Yep. It's really awkward with a controller. And so <laughs> I, um, I was scrolling through old messages and I'd seen all these messages from, you know, however long before from friends going, mate, where are you? We miss you. We love you. And wow. I, had this moment, I had this moment where I was like, fucking hell, I've given up all these amazing people for these people who now don't give a shit about me because I don't have all the drugs and that kind of thing. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to reach out and message. So my friend Milos, I, <laughs> I messaged him on the Xbox. Now imagine on the Xbox, you have to like go up to a letter and select then to the next letter and select. So it takes fucking ages. So I wrote yeah. like, Hey man. And that took me ages to write. And so he's got this message. First time he's heard from me in, like, I don't know, nine months, a year or something. And he starts freaking out. He's like, bro, where are you? What's going on? And I'm still trying to write the next message. <laughs> and it's taking forever because <laughs> he thinks he's going to lose me again because I'm taking too long to reply. So um, I was so lucky. So him and another friend rock up on my door like literally an hour later. Um, wow. Two other friends rock up a couple of hours after that. And um, then we organized to go and see my parents. That was that was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's, it's so hard to have you know really compassionate and loving parents to be able to go to them and just say, Hey, your son's a drug addict. He's a drug dealer. He's up on serious criminal charges and you know, all of yeah. that kind of stuff, but it had to be done. And once again, very, very lucky mum and dad clearly devastated by that, mm. but still like, okay, what do we do? How can we help? You know? So I was mm. very lucky in that respect. So um, yeah, did this home-based detox, uh, you know, went and saw a doctor, but once again, the, the mainstream system, like the doctor was good, but all he's doing is just giving me drugs to try and help me sleep. Um, yeah you know, antipsychotics, you know, Zyprexa, that kind of thing. And it does work to help sleep, but like a lot of people do have a trouble then um, getting off those kind of things, especially if they get prescribed Valium or whatever it is. Um, so what happened? I, I, I relapsed after 12 days. I got back on it and I got back on it for about a week. And that was kind of the week that changed my life, so to speak. You know, I got arrested again during that week. Um, I, I was set up with an appointment with a psychologist 
on the Friday of that week. So my care and recovery worker had set that up. So, yep, your appointment's on Friday. I'm like, all right, I'll sort of, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but I'm just going to go and, you know, it'll be good just to talk about stuff, right? So yep. I started t- telling family, telling friends, I'm going to talk to someone, I'm going to talk to someone, looking forward to it. Um, so I guess the Thursday morning at about 10 a.m., I'm just on the couch off my face again, and I'm just deleting old messages off a phone. And um, I get to this message from the start of the week from my care and recovery worker saying, oh, so just a reminder, that psychologist appointment's Thursday at nine o'clock. And I'm like, oh, fuck, like I just missed it. Because so, in my head, I thought it was Friday at nine, but it was Thursday. And so I just missed it. And so I'm beating myself up. I'm like, oh, you fucking idiot, blah, blah, blah. I've missed it. And then like less than an hour later, I get a message on Facebook um, from an old acquaintance, Melissa, um, who I'd met maybe a couple of years prior. We were doing a talk um, on health, funnily enough. Um, and I knew that she was a therapist. But she just reached out randomly and just said, hey, what's been going on? I haven't kind of seen or heard from you in a while. Now, classic me, I would just deflect, deflect, deflect. I'd never talk about my own stuff. So I'm like, yeah. I basically, I just said, I could write you a book on my last, you know, year or two. Um, but how are you? You know, how's business? Blah, blah, blah. Just deflected. And I thought the conversation was over. And then she shoots me one more message just on Messenger. And she goes, I feel a lot of hurt in your heart. And I'm like, I can't argue with that. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I can't argue with that. I'm like, yes. Yeah, what are you what are you getting at? And then she goes, Oh, can you do something for me? A little exercise. I'm like, Yeah, all right, whatever. So um she goes, grab a pen and paper and go somewhere by yourself. So like I had people in my house who I was using drugs with, grab my laptop. I'm like, I'm just going to my room, boys, I'm talking to someone. So I went in there. And um she goes, just use she goes, you left or right hand? I'm like, I'm a lefty. She goes, use your right hand and just write on that bit of paper some of the things that you're feeling at the minute. Like just tune into your body and just write whatever comes out. And it was really confronting for me because I wrote some words like broken, uh, defeated, uh, dead inside, um, scared, you know, sad, right? And this is for someone who had um, made a lifestyle for pretty much their entire life of not acknowledging any negative emotions. It was quite confronting for me. And when you write with your non-dominant hand, it looks like a child's writing. It's kind of squiggly and and weird. So I look down at this paper and I'm like, Jesus, this is what's actually going on inside me. So it stirred something up in me to her. I said to her, all right, can I come and see you for a session? And she's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And was that, and and sorry to interrupt, because that's an amazing story. Was that really weird? Like just to be in that situation and just going through that. But it sounds like there was just something driving you saying, this is the right thing to do. Just give it a go. Yeah. Yeah, because it was just it was it was foreign it was very challenging for me but still it it stirred up something inside to where i don't know some part of me went holy crap if this is actually what's going on inside of you you need to explore this right yeah and combine that the fact that i was meant to see this psychologist and i fucked up the dates so i was kind of expecting to talk to someone just kind of that kind of perfect storm i suppose and i go to her i said this is kind of what what really locked it in for me is that she's like, yeah, we can book in a time for next week. And I said to her, no, 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 I need to see you tomorrow. Cause that was the Friday. Cause I had this Friday like burnt in my mind. And then about 10 minutes later, she replies, literally someone just canceled tomorrow and I've got an opening so you can come in. And so wow. that's, that's when I was like, I don't believe in much at this point in my life, but I'm just going to go in. So the next day I go in, um, I had no idea what she did as a therapist. Yep. She, she had no idea I was a drug addict. So I walk into her office and she admitted later to being like, whoa, what the fuck happened to this guy? Because when she saw me last, I was doing a, 
I was doing a talk on health, you know, and I was, you know, in, in reasonably <laughs> fit shape and that kind of thing. And because the gym used to be another one of my addictions or coping mechanisms back in the day. And yeah. um, I, I walked into her office like 15 kilos lighter, um, disheveled. Um, the funny thing she said to me later on was like, I was dressed like shit. And I remember that morning, because all I've been doing is hanging out with other drug addicts. I made a real effort to dress up as nice as possible <laughs> to go in to see her. <laughs> but I still looked like shit apparently. And so anyway, I sat in there. I sat in her office. <laughs> I was in there for three hours, right? And we spoke about drugs for like two minutes, right? Because yeah. I thought that I thought the drugs were my problem. It was it looked yeah. it looked quite clear if you looked at my life that drugs were the main problem in my life. Okay. Not so. She explained to me that look, we've got this whole list of emotions here and all this heavy stuff down here, this guilt, shame, anger, fear, sadness, hurt. You've got so much of that stewing in your system that you use drugs to numb it out for a short amount of time, you know, and, and ice and GHB work for you for someone else. Alcohol works for someone else. Shopping works for someone else. Yeah. Heroin works, you know, but then whenever you stop using all of this stuff comes back to the surface. Yeah. And so you, we yeah. keep using, we keep using, we keep using, we're just trying to numb out the things that are stewing in our system that we haven't dealt with. And that, that made intuitive sense to me. I was like, that does actually sound like my experience. So then she's like, all right, well, let's find out why we've got so much heavy emotion stored in your body, right? So that's when we decided to jump into some memories from my past. So she was doing trauma therapy, <clears throat> basically, and trying to work out where a lot of emotions were stuck from my past and also beliefs. And you spoke about the, the not being vulnerable one. So I had this... Um, uh, memory from when I was four years old to do with my brother. So my brother, uh, 14 years older than me, right? And he was like uh, my hero growing up. And he's like the best brother ever. Like I, I would look back and be like, I would always want to kick the footy with him. And like, you know, I, I'm six and he's 20, but he'd always do it with me. So he was just my absolute hero. So a lot of my stuff was the fear of losing him you know, and like yeah. when he would get girlfriends or when he moved out and that kind of thing was a very traumatic experience for me. So there was this event when I was four years old, when I had decided to shut down and, and not be vulnerable. And this is when the belief was birthed. And so from that point on, from four years old, then that belief just plays out in not being vulnerable in pretty much every situation in my life. And so I, wow. I, up until this point, you know, I was in this office with Melissa, I would have been 30, 30 or th yeah, I think 30. And um, I hadn't cried for like 15 years, right? Wow. That's so unhealthy. <laughs> like I thought that I wore that as a badge of honor, you know, this whole you know, <laughs> boys, don't, boys don't cry and all that kind of thing. And, and it was mate, it was to do with this vulnerability thing. Yeah. You know, because like I'm not going to let anyone see me cry. So once we went back and we dealt with that, we dealt with the emotion and the belief and I saw where it started and I'm like, holy crap, I've been shut down for that long. Guess what happened? I started bawling my eyes out. Like, wow. like, would not believe, you know, like all of these pent up tears just started pouring out of my face. And it was, it was confronting, but also amazing at the same time. It was like, this is uncomfortable, but I feel like this needs to happen. Yeah. And so once those walls came down, when I'm like, hey, I actually can be vulnerable, then we started to look at, you know, my marriage breakup which I hadn't dealt with. I remember friends would ask me, like we literally 10 years together, married house. And like two weeks later, my friends are checking. How are you? I'm like, yeah, I'm over it. No problem. Bullshit. <laughs> Absolutely bullshitting myself, you know? So we had to go back and deal with all the emotion, the sadness, the anger around that marriage breaking up. And then we started to look at other events from my childhood. You know, one of the other beliefs that we worked on in that session, which was really the, really the key to, to me not using drugs anymore was I had a deep seated yeah. belief that 
not only I didn't love myself, I didn't like myself. I fucking hated who I was as a human being and, and not, not from like the using drugs and everything, but we're talking once again, from around the age of four or five, just a belief was created that I just, I hate who I am as a human being. There's something inherently wrong with me. So imagine that, right? Imagine you have a friend that you fucking hate, right? You can deal with that. You can tell your friend to fucking go home or you can leave their house and go home. You can not be friends with them anymore. If you hate who you are as a person, there's no escape. Wherever you go, you are. So then how do we deal with that? We deal with that by creating a different state of consciousness through alcohol and drugs or whatever other means there is, because that's the only way I can escape myself is to completely change my, my state of consciousness. So it made complete yeah. sense to me that that's how I would escape myself. Cause that's what, that's what addiction is. It's a desire to escape the desire to escape the self because the self is too painful. Now for me. 100%. Okay. So that was the clip with Ryan. Um, and I just love how Ryan is able to, articulate his own experience and talk about those internal shifts that he had when he did those sessions um, with his now partner, (laughs) Melissa, um, and, you know, did some of that uh, trauma healing work um, and healing work, you know, I guess beneath the surface and and away from the actual substance use itself. Um, And the reason why I wanted to play that is, A, like I said, he articulates it really well, but whether it's through the method that he talked about there or through another method in more traditional therapies or, or some other way of doing it, really like anybody that I've ever met that gets long-term recovery and he's actually, you know, not just surviving, but he's actually thriving in their life. They go through some process where they work on themselves and they heal uh, the underlying issues um, that have occurred throughout their addiction um, and, you know, uh, have formed into belief systems that are perpetuating and manifesting in their behaviours, their thinking patterns and their emotional patterns, which always lead to self-sabotage, negative consequences externally that bring on stress and distress, Um, you know, all that sort of stuff that inevitably lead as ryan talked about lead people to needing to escape their life through alcohol and drugs or some other addictive pattern right um and that's really what it's about so some people are exactly like ryan and they engage in you know some underlying work and they have a really profound experience straight away and they have a massive shift and and that's kind of a a spiritual awakening some people call it or a penny drop moment or whatever it is and and boom they're on a different direction their whole life and other people don't have as sharp of emotional reaction to the setting or the situation Um, however they're able to identify the unconscious negative belief systems in their life and then work out the opposite behaviors and reactions to them and chip away at them, you know, kind of one day at a time for a period of time that helps them, you know, to inevitably change their personal reality and their behavior, which, you know, changes their personal reality, right? Like they're the kind of two ways that it happens, whichever way it doesn't, doesn't sort of matter. But it's important to know that that's what you're actually trying to do, right? You're actually trying to go deeper, Uh, down into your inner workings of your psychology 
um, and your emotional state. Um, and for some people, that's things like trauma work. For other people, that's like just traditional therapy stuff. For other people, that's energy healing. For you know whatever it is, you've got to try these different things and the things that kind of match your paradigm, I suppose. But when you find out what that is for you and you find out what is kind of making you tick... And then you start to change that and get some new unconscious belief systems on board. That's when the magic happens and that's when you don't need to escape your life anymore. So obviously discovering what your specific underlying issues are can be quite an undertaking. Um, and, you know, for some people, for a lot of people really, it, it, it can take a lot of time and usually some work with someone else. Um, but what I wanted to do in this podcast was actually provide something really practical for you guys to do um, in order to understand it a little bit more um, and also, I guess, lay the groundwork and the foundations of what you're going to need to do and implement in your life behaviorally um, and some practices that you can undertake that are going to help you to start seeing yourself coming, right, and start understanding what your underlying issues are and what the inner workings are. Um, and really that's a, proce a process of becoming more um, conscious of yourself and more self-aware. Um, so what I'm, what I'm going to do is um, now I'm going to play a uh, recording of step four out of the 11 definitive steps to get recovery without going to rehab book um, that we've just released uh, about a month ago that we're getting some really great feedback on. Um, and when you grab that special offer, which the link will be for in the bio once this podcast um, has finished, if you wanted to check it out, um, you get the whole audio recording of the book as like a free bonus on top of that plus a couple of other things. So, um, But I wanted to play an excerpt of that uh, from step four, which then outlines kind of some questions and some, some things for you to kind of think about to just really um, understand practically what your effort output is going to have to look like in order just to start seeing yourself. Um, but I can guarantee it's well worth it. All right. So this is the step four excerpt out of the book, the audio book re recording. That's a free bonus as part of when you grab um, the book. So hope you enjoy this. Um, hope it sheds some light. Uh, and then we'll be back after this recording to wrap it all up. Step four, identifying the 85% addiction in the brain. Contrary to popular belief, addiction is not the result of a moral failing or weakness of will. There are a number of factors that play a role in addiction, including genetics, age, family, history, culture, physical condition, psychology, and biology. Research has shown that pro prolonged substance abuse causes changes in the reward center of the brain that promote continued use, both due to the feelings of pleasure the substances produce in the brain and the avoidance of withdrawal symptoms that occur when dependence on the substance develops. Most drugs affect the brain's reward circuit, causing euphoria as well as flooding it with the chemicals messenger of dopamine. A properly functioning reward system motivates a person to repeat behaviours needed to thrive, such as eating and spending time with loved ones. Surges of dopamine in the reward circuit cause the reinforcement of pleasurable but unhealthy behaviours like taking drugs, leading people to repeat the behaviour again and again. As a person continues to use drugs, the brain adapts by reducing the ability of cells in the reward circuit to respond to it. This reduces the high that the person feels compared to the high that they felt when first taking the drug, an effect known as tolerance. They might take more of the drug 
to try and achieve the same high. These brain adaptations often lead to the person becoming less and less able to derive pleasure from other things they once enjoyed like food, sex or social activities. As a side note to this above explanation of what occurs biochemically in the brain, this is why when people first attempt to enter into recovery, they often feel incredibly bored and struggle with fulfilling activities. When you are going through this, it feels like it feels like this is boring, a boring phase that will last forever. It's important to know that with some work and time investment, your biochemistry will reset and you will start to feel pleasurable experiences again. Always remember that at some point you will have to ride out the uncomfortable feelings. Don't give up before the magic happens. Long-term use also causes changes in other brain chemical systems and circuits as well, affecting functions that include learning, judgment, decision-making, stress, memory, behavior, and much, much more. This is a very brief overview of what happens in the brain chemically, and the truth is that there is much yet to be discovered through neuroscience. One thing that you can currently count on is that collectively we understand partly what happens in the brain. However, no one knows exactly what goes on in the brain and how addiction plays out biochemically start to finish. For more information, check out our interview with a neuroscience neuroscientist on our YouTube channel. His name is Paul Taylor and you can click the link provided in the PDF book version. We also have a more detailed explanation on what you can do biochemically to help reset your nervous system and tackle addiction from a biochemical standpoint in our Quantum Shift online program. Click the link to take advantage of the special offer with this book. You can also find that link in the PDF version of this book. If dealing with physical addiction was enough, sending people to rehab for 90 plus days would be sufficient. People then would have no problem with addiction because their physical symptoms would have subsided and the brain would have rewired itself. We all know that's not the case and there's much more to the story. The 85%. There are loads of different ideological ideas about what addiction actually is and the exact nature. Unfortunately, no idea is agreed upon amongst professionals in the alcohol and drug space worldwide making it incredibly confusing for families and individuals experiencing addictive patterns. In saying this, it's been our experience that, in, that in 100% of cases, addiction is never predominantly about the substance. It's about the underlying psychological and emotional issues, the built-up negative belief systems and destructive behavioural patterns that have built up underneath the surface over a period of time of a person's addiction or from previous past childhood experiences. Connection-based living calls this the 85% theory. If the problem is 100%, then the drugs and the alcohol are 15% of the problem and the underlying psychological and emotional issues are 85% of the problem. Understanding and working through the 85% is, in, is essential in turning your life around from addictive patterns. It's extremely important that you don't confuse the 85% of underlying issues for trauma or extreme events in your childhood. Trauma may be part of someone's 85% of underlying issues, but for a lot of people it isn't and it's more about the negative coping mechanisms that you have developed as well as all the emotional baggage that has built up over the years of pushing it down with alcohol or drugs. Here are some examples of what could be built up in an individual's 85%. Negative belief systems about self, fear, guilt, shame, regret, lack of self-esteem, anger, unresolved anger, lack of personal responsibility, lack of self-acceptance, 
co-occurring mental health conditions, trauma, self-sabotage, family-oriented dynamics, confidence issues, social anxiety, etc. Sometimes people can find this concept challenging to understand. This is because people don't consciously walk around thinking, I dislike myself and I'm not good enough. It's often a belief system in the subconscious or an automatic habit or program, again being driven from the subconscious. This is why it's so important to start becoming conscious in recovery. This doesn't mean that you have to go and live in Mullumbimby, which is a hippie place in Australia, and stick incense where the sun don't shine. Becoming conscious just means becoming more self-aware. Just by reading these words, you have become more aware of your underlying issues and you will probably start noticing the subset of underlying issues appearing in your life. We want you to start identifying your underlying issues. In order to do this, we have to start implementing practices that help you become more conscious of yourself. Some of these may include meditation, journaling, talking to trusted people, stopping and taking time to identify your feelings in the day, therapy, etc. This is a really big step to take and depending on what's happened in your life, this may be a challenging process to undertake. We recommend that you approach these questions and the following exercises with caution and don't push yourself too far without professional help. Questions. What do you think your underlying issues are? How do you feel about these self-awareness activities? Are you willing to add these activities into your life? How will you add them into your week? You can use the space provided in the PDF book version to answer these questions. Step four summary. Focus on raising your level of consciousness. Remember that you don't need to be super duper spiritual to do this. The process of becoming conscious is more about becoming self-aware and this will help you to uncover your subset of underlying issues which is a big key to overcoming addiction in the long term. The next chapters. In the following chapters, we are going to cover and discuss some of the key issues that come up for a lot of people in their 85% of underlying issues. Everyone has a different 85%. However, there usually is some commonalities that exist. If you don't 100% relate to everything that we outline in the following chapters, don't exclude yourself. It always helps to chat with someone with expertise and knowledge and work out what your specific psychological patterns are in your own life. Okay, boom, um, another step down. Uh, I hope you guys are starting to get the internal and emotional process that I'm trying to take you on through these 11 steps. And what it is, is that so far what we've done is try and remove some of the kind of psychological and emotional clutter that can exist um, when you're coming out of the whirlwind of addictive patterns and addiction. And now what we're trying to do is help you to become more self-aware and really understand what is driving those addictive patterns and kind of turning that fire that we talked about in the last chapter uh, into a bushfire, right? What is the fuel that when you pour it on the bonfire that's making it explode, okay? Something to think about just to remember is, is it can be hard to get your head around, but think about how many people in the world that you know um, and just probably you know beyond the people that you know that drink alcohol and take drugs socially right there's a lot of those people and then even think about how many of those people probably do it to the extreme and you would probably say that they're like party animals right um and but but you still wouldn't consider them addicted you got to ask yourself what is the difference between them and somebody myself or or somebody else that that starts to develop an addictive pattern 
And it is these underlying issues that, you know, the chemical hooks jump on and it really sparks the fire and, and fuels it uh, ongoing. So um, it's important to understand that. And what I would say to you, the biggest thing to kind of work on in this chapter is becoming self-aware. It can be very weird, very strange. I know it was for me. I wasn't brought up in a religious setting or any spiritual setting at all, right? Like wasn't atheist either. We were just like, we just didn't really talk about any of that stuff. So coming into some of these practices, I found them like super alternative and weird. I don't now, I'm, I'm sort of transcending <laughs> into Byron Bay or something. No, not really, but you know, I'm, I'm very much more open to them now, but yeah, it can be, I, I totally relate and I totally understand and connect to that it's really foreign and strange to a lot of people. But all you're doing is becoming the observer of yourself and of your life, right? That's kind of the main thing that I want you to focus on and do. And when you actually achieve that and do that, it doesn't matter about all the special practices and all that stuff. When you just become the observer, you will. You will start to see the patterns that come up. And that's why it's important to already have worked on denial so that you don't slip into the trap of thinking nah that that's nothing or whatever like right you got to actually kind of follow it down the rabbit hole a little bit and understand what it is all right so i hope this is starting to make sense and i hope that kind of resonates with you a little bit um and let's jump in to step five all right so that was the step four excerpt out of the book now obviously you're hearing that out of sequence um and you know it makes a little bit more sense when you hear step one through to 11 <laughs> um, from where to go. But uh, it's so important um, that you start to raise your level of consciousness and awareness about yourself and actually start to implement some of those practices in the morning and night and other self-awareness practices to help to see yourself coming um, because trust me as soon as you start putting awareness on hey you know what is my thinking like and, and you start to implement metacognition into your life um, it's amazing the things that you start to pull out that you once saw as normal and just um, might not have even noticed and you were just doing on autopilot how they start to be like big hairy dog balls <laughs> in your face and you go hold on I need to change that or I need to do something about that. And then boom, all of a sudden you've had the shift and your whole life starts to starts to snowball in the right direction and, and change for the better, all right? So um, I hope that was helpful, guys. Um, would love to hear your feedback on that and if it was helpful because as I said at the start of the show, had a lot of people asking us for some of these more practical um, in the weeds recovery I guess methodologies and actions that they can that they can practice so um, look uh, again hope that was helpful we'll be back with our normal programming as of the next show with some interviews and some guests um, some personal stories coming up um, and if you uh, like the sound of that and you want to know more you can head to the description the book um, is in the description it's 15 bucks we got a special offer on it um, and you get the free audio recording and a self-care planner that I use nearly every day in my life to just make sure that I'm on track as well um, so yeah it, it's just a really good way to uh, find out a little bit more about recovery if you're interested and, and take the next step whatever level that you're at um, you know, for as much as that's what I say to people, for as much as it costs you to buy a gram of uh, pot. <laughs> so, um, 
hope you uh, guys keep safe and, and stay well. If you want to have a chat to someone um, and you need some further help for you or a family member, www.connectionbasedliving, you can find that in the links as well. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review if you find it helpful and you like what we're putting out. It helps us to progress through the ranks. Um, I think I've remembered all my selfless um, self-promotion here. Uh, so on that note, we're out. Have a good day, guys. Peace.